Let's go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 24. We're not going to finish it tonight, the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to look at this. Try to get down to about verse 45 is where I'd like to get. We'll see how we do. And the title is, Christ is Risen and Our Hope is Alive. You know, for these believers, the apostles and the crowd that followed along with Jesus, and we're going to even read it here tonight, I mean, they believed that he was a Messiah. They believed that he was a Christ, and for good reason, he was. But when he died, man, that just shook them. And how could he be the Messiah and be dead? And, um, you know, Jesus had told them this was going to take place, but be that as it may, they were devastated. They were rocked to their core. And, and the Bible gives us that honest look at them and the confusion that they felt. And it gives us the, uh, uh, the, the lack of belief that the apostles had in that moment. And so we're going to just follow the uh, historical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and um, how he was ministering to his disciples and how they were responding. So we'll begin at verse 1, and we'll read the first eight verses to begin with, and we'll just see that there's, um, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, um, there was confusion there at the tomb. Now on the first day of the week, so that'd be Sunday, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? What a great line that is, isn't it? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. So there's confusion at the tomb, and they're perplexed as to why the tomb should be empty. Now, had they heard the words of the Lord and believed it as they should have, they, they would have said, listen, Jesus said this was going to happen. It's not a problem. We just Let's make sure we're there early and wait for that moment when he's going to come out because he, he's told us this is going to take place. But instead, there is confusion and there is, they are perplexed as to this. They're like, where's his body? I mean, did they, did, the, did Rome decide to move him? They followed. They knew where he was, uh, the Joseph Arimathea's tomb. They knew where that was. So now he's not there. <clears throat> this massive stone is rolled away. Did Rome move him? Did, did you know, what, what's taking place? They are uncertain. Nothing was a good solution. And then they're given the explanation there in verses 5 through 8. So verses 1 through 4 talks about the, you know, them being perplexed. Verses 5 through 8 talks about that being re, you know, cleared up. And the angels take them back to the scriptures. Listen, Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus spoke of this, uh, 
you know, this, this event that was going to take place. And once that was brought to their mind, they were like, oh, yeah, he did say that. So there, there was a, a recall of the, what would take place. And here's a few verses um, where Jesus had spoke to them about his death and resurrection. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and be killed and after three days rise again. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's not like complicated language. There's not a lot of poetry going on there. It's just straightforward, simple language that he spoke to them in. John 2, uh, verse 19 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Uh, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 64. On the next day, which followed... The day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember when he was alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. I mean, not only had he said it to his disciples, but even the enemies of Jesus Christ were tuned into the fact that he said he was going to rise from the dead. Now, they don't believe he's a Christ, so they don't think that's going to happen. So they say, therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. So they were making um, arrangements so that nobody could possibly say that he rose from the dead because Jesus was saying that. I mean, that's how, so this wasn't just like a secretive, hey, by the way, I'm rise from the dead. I mean, his enemies knew that he was going to rise from the dead. So they shouldn't have been perplexed. Um, they shouldn't have began to wonder because he had said, this is coming. I am telling you what's going to happen and it's going to happen. And, I, you know, it wouldn't have mattered how much time they spent trying to figure this problem out. Um, if they don't go to the word of the Lord, it's never going to make sense. And, and so I think if we take this and we apply it to ourselves, there's all types of challenging and perplexing and confusing um, circumstances we can find ourselves unrelated to the death of Jesus Christ and whether he's going to rise from the dead. That's already happened. But just in our own life and in this world, there can come these challenging and perplexing situations. What do I do about my marriage? What do I do about my kids? How am I going to handle this financial difficulty? What about my career? What about my health? What about my fears? What about my depressions and my phobias? And you know, what about all of these things? And we can begin to feel overwhelmed and perplexed. But the answer to our confusion is the, in principle, the same answer that the disciples had to their confusion. And that is, Jesus is alive from the dead. Jesus is alive from the dead and he dwells within you as a, as a believer. You are not alone. Jesus' risen presence is going to clear everything up. So we need to hear what scripture has to say in our circumstances. We need to be reminded that Jesus is alive. 
And, and he, I mean, this is the thing that we have to just guard ourselves against because we can become so familiar, we should be as believers, with the reality of Christ's resurrection. I'll say the truth of Christ's resurrection, but we fail to walk in the reality of that. And we allow the perplexing situation to be bigger than Jesus is alive from the dead. Listen, you don't have to wonder who's doing it. It's you. You and me. We are the ones that do that. And, and what we need to be able to do is encourage one another. Even as these angels encouraged these uh, women that had gathered at the tomb with the truth of the resurrection, it should bring encouragement. And, and really, the, this, is, this is the deal. If we allow that truth, it will bring encouragement to our hearts. But Jesus is alive. And, you know, we could easily find ourselves maybe even getting offended that somebody would want to bring that as an answer to my perplexity and my confusion and the hard things I'm going through. So could you imagine, think of your last circumstance, if, if a sister came to you and said, yes, but remember, Jesus is alive from the dead. It, you can almost hear the, the response saying, well, what does that have to do with my, you know, my anxiety, or what does that have to do with my financial difficulty, or what does that have to do with my bad health report, or the fact that I didn't get that job? What do you mean Jesus is alive from the dead? I need a job. But see, in those moments that I think any of us could imagine having kind of that curt response to that encouragement, is that we don't think that he's going to make a difference in our life. We don't think that Jesus being alive from the dead is going to make a difference. And, and we need to learn to cling to that. They are changed and transformed as you have been in the knowledge of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Does it make a difference that Jesus is alive from the dead? Not just for your eternal life, but for your here and now life. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let it sit right there. But I, I really pray you'll, you'll take that up. And you'll have a conversation with Jesus about it. You'll ponder it and say, Lord, does it make a difference? And the way I view my circumstances and those perplexing things of life when I am reminded that you are alive from the dead. And not just alive from the dead. More than that, right? Dwelling within us. Oh, Lord, may the power of the gospel and, the, and the, the implications of being saved, may they just refresh us and, and make us aware again. So he says, this is what's going to happen to me. And, um, you know, we, we should all cling to that truth. We should cling to that hope. And, you know, Scripture is there to lead us and guide us. I mean, when Jesus spoke those verses we just read, they weren't scripture at the moment at quite yet. It hadn't been written yet. But we know that they, they became scripture. So Jesus rising from the dead and then listening to the counsel of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord in the scriptures, this also becomes something that can help me and see me through. Jesus is alive from the dead and he is there to help you in those complicated situations to be your counselor, to be your counselor. Jesus Christ is your counselor. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, 
No problem believing that. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That hasn't happened yet, but we know it's coming. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is there to counsel you. Psalm 16, verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. The Lord is there to speak to us. Luke uh, 21, verse 15. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. I'm going to give you what you need to know and what you should say. I'm going to counsel you through the trials and the tribulations that you are facing. You know, um, thinking about actually Ukraine, I remember when where um, the one and only time I went to Ukraine, and this is back in 93, got here in 94, right? So it probably would have been around 93. And um, we're going over to Ukraine, and it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a rough place there. I can remember my most vivid memory of being in Ukraine was being in the airport, looking up at the hole that was in the roof and watching snow fall into the interior part <laughs> of the Ukrainian airport. The main one. And the person who was supposed to pick us up was not there. But, you know, just this whole idea of the Lord giving us wisdom and counsel. I remember, um, and I mean, I was probably 26, maybe 27. And um, myself and Thomas Powell were traveling over there. We're going to uh, Ukraine. We're going to uh, uh, Serbia. We're going to Hungary. And we're doing conferences and just visiting our missionaries and just encouraging them. And um, so we were taking a lot of stuff with us and a lot of money. And we had, we had, I mean, we had all kinds of stuff with us. I remember we had, each of us were carrying $10,000. I do remember that. And, um, and we had all kinds of electronics and stuff. And I remember I, it was the day we were leaving, and I was about to walk out of the uh, church office there at Calvary Chapel Vista. And the Lord said, get a letter and put a stamp on it saying you have permission um, to take these things with you. And um, it just out of the blue that came. And, and when, I, when that thought came to my mind, I remembered in my times of traveling before that in those early days of travel, I'm sure it's different now, but if you could stamp, if you had a stamp, that, that was like, well, you've got a stamp. That means something. Don't know what it means. So I went into my office and I wrote a letter and I, I stated, I kind of listed things. I said, Troy Warner and Thomas Powell have permission to bring all of these things into uh, Ukraine. And I just kind of said, I I just typed something up like that. Um, Put it on church letterhead. I put it in a church envelope. Um, I sealed it and then I put a stamp stamp on the inside of it over my signature because I'd seen them do that a lot. And then I I put a stamp on the outside of the sealed envelope. And um, so I had these letters with me. And we get to uh, Ukraine, um, uh, uh, immigration, customs, and they saw all of our stuff. And I'm telling you, we were loaded down. And the guy said, um, in very broken English, is all of this stuff, you, you can't bring this stuff in? I said, no, no, I go, we can. <laughs> and I pulled out my envelope that had a seal in the back and it was stamped. I said, no, we have permission to bring all of these things in and, and here's the stamp. And he looked at it. That's a true story. He looked, he held it up and he's like, Okay, <laughs> and, um, 
It didn't mean anything except that the Lord had need of those things, and they were his, and he told us to bring them, so I had permission um, <laughs> to bring them. And um, so, you know, Thomas and myself laughed about that and, um, and then went out and watched the snow fall into the interior of that airport. But, you know, he gives you wisdom. He tells you what to do. I'd never heard of anybody doing that before. I, I just, it just on, the, on my way out to the car, just, I'm going to do that. And so the Lord is there to give us counsel in complicated situations. And so we should expect it. You should expect for Jesus to give you counsel in your life and in those complicated things. You know, before you call your friend, call Jesus. Before you Google it, Bible it. Right? Give the Lord a chance to speak to you. Um, he may tell you to put a cheesy little stamp on the outside of an envelope and tell them that, that you have permission to do this, and, it, and it'll, be, it'll be exactly it. So, and, you know, on that, even the missionary was like, I cannot believe you got all of this stuff through. And I said, I stamped an envelope, you know, and he couldn't, he didn't know what it said. <laughs> he just knew there was a stamp. So look for that. Um, Colossians 2.3, in him, that is Jesus, in whom, Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Sound attractive to anybody? I mean, are you, would you like to tap into? Now, you're not going to have all wisdom and all knowledge, but they are hidden where? In Christ, who's risen from the dead. And so, in your perplexing situations, you can run to him. Now, again, in the context of what we're saying, their perplexing situation is how can the Messiah be dead? The answer to their perplexing uh, situation was he's alive. And I'm, I'm just trying to make that same application into our life. So if you're in need of wisdom, counsel, answers for your difficulties, turn to the wisdom that is found in the scriptures and to your risen Lord and Savior. Make a big deal of the fact that Jesus is alive. It should be a game changer in our lives that he's alive. So verses 9 through 12, let's keep on moving on. Um, and here we're going to find out that the first skeptics were apostles. Did you know that? The first ones to not believe that Jesus was risen from the dead are the apostles. Not the B-apostles or the C-apostles, the A-apostles, right? Team, first team guys, don't believe this cardinal truth of our faith. Then they returned, the ladies did, right, from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Wow. It, you know, there is really something beautiful here, and I, you, you maybe have heard this before, but in, you know, in the culture of the day, um, for a woman to give a testimony about something didn't mean very much. The culture of the day, yeah, so what? It was a woman. Oh, I don't believe that. But who does the Lord first entrust the most important message that this world has ever heard to? Women. So don't, don't, 
you know, when people begin to say, well, you know, the Bible and women, listen, there was a culture that existed that certainly did not esteem women as the Lord did, right? And so he, he put this into their hands. And, you know, people say, well, the, the New Testament is just making all of this stuff up about, you know, the resurrection. Let me tell you, it's, it's, and this is agreed upon, you know, by anybody who looks at these things. If you wanted to make up a, a lie about Jesus rising from the dead, you wouldn't have put it in the mouth of a woman who culturally would already be discounted as communicating the truth. You see that? It's not God's perspective about women. It was a culture's perspective, but the Lord took this and put it in the mouth of women, which is that if you wanted to perpetrate a lie, that's not the way you would have done it. You would have, that would have been first challenged. Um, verse 11, in their words, seeming like idle tells they did not believe, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb. You gotta love Peter, don't you? He's, you know, walking on water. He's sinking. He's making a confession that Jesus is the Christ. He's being rebuked. He's, you know, um, trying to defend Jesus and chop off a head. You know, it's nighttime and only gets an ear because he's a fisherman. I mean, you know, Peter is all in, right? No matter what, he's all in. And so you can just see the room, can't you? These ladies come in, and you can hear the, the guys going, oh, come on, this is, this is just, you know, foolishness. This is there. And Peter's just in the corner going, he did say that. He did say that. That he's going to rise from the dead. And he's like, I'm out of here. You know, and he just took off running. And, um, of course, when you read in the Gospel of John, John tells us um, a really deeply important spiritual truth about making their way to the tomb. Does anybody know what it is? Yeah, he says, I outran Peter. I'm faster than him. So I, I, that's an interesting verse. I don't know what you really do with that. I have no spiritual application for you whatsoever on that one. He was young and ran faster than the old guy Peter. That's all I know. And John wanted to make sure you knew that. And so, stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. He, I mean, he's like, wait a minute here. He said he was going to rise from the dead. The tomb is empty. The clothes are lying there. Could it be? So, but they, they did not believe, right? They heard the good news, and uh, <clears throat> collectively, at least, they dismissed it. It didn't seem logical. That's not, I mean, we watched him die. I mean, he was torn apart. I mean, he was ripped apart. I mean, as Isaiah says, you know, he, he was so mangled through the crucifixion and the cross, he wasn't even recognizable as a man. So they watched it. They watched the spear of the centurion go into his side and that flow of blood and water come out which was proof positive that he was dead. They're like, no. I think it's, uh, you know, I'm going to, there's only four Gospels, I, you know, so one of these Gospels, I don't remember um, what it is. I think it's in John, but it says he was wrapped in about 110 pounds of linen and uh, burial embalming spices. So, how, I mean, you know, how's he going to get out of that? 
There's no way. Um, and so this just seemed foolishness to them. But, but they ran. And um, they, they saw other way. Uh, uh, that, you know, otherwise, that he was out of that tomb. Where he was, I'm sure they still wondered. But this is the way many people respond to this story. Just like the apostles first responded to it. Not true, don't believe it, because those things don't happen. We watched him die, people don't rise from the dead. Yeah, that's the whole point. That's the whole point, is that people don't rise from the dead. But Jesus said he would rise from the dead. Because if Jesus died for our sins and was put in the tomb and didn't rise from the dead, guess what? You're not going to rise from the dead, and I'm not going to rise from the dead by putting my faith and trust in a guy who's still dead. This is a great inconsistency you can find with a lot of people. They believe they're dying. when they die they're going to heaven, but they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So you're going to do what Jesus couldn't do? I mean, really, I mean, you're going to do what he said he would do, but it doesn't make sense. So, uh, you know, this is this, the, the way the skeptics respond. This, people can't rise from the dead. Well, they can't. Unless the Lord says rise from the dead, then they can. And so this is why, where many people just push the Christian faith away and say, no, that, that can't happen. Well, that's, again, it's the whole point is that God was doing something that would be so amazing that nobody could ever come along and duplicate it and take credit for being the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis upon a person's identity, don't we? Unless you're going to vote, but that's a different story. So, but you know, if you want to, if you want to go into the, if you want to go out of this country or you want to come into a country, you got to have a passport. And you know, if you ever try to go get a passport, you never go just once to the DMV to do it. You do it at least twice because you you're going to forget something. But that's pretty much true with anything at DMV. I never plan to go once. I plan to go twice. It just keeps me from being frustrated. It's like, I'm going to DMV twice. Here's my first trip, you know. And, and you know, so you've got you to get your, you know, well, you need your birth certificate. Well, I don't know where that is. Then you've got to call. You've got to get your birth certificate. You've got to get all this documentation. You've got to prove who you are so you can get on that plane. We know the importance of making a proper identification of somebody. Well, how about the person who says, I'm the only way you can get to heaven, and you can know that I am the right guy because I'm going to die, as a prophet said, and I'm going to rise from the dead, as a prophet said. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, besides the theological significance of us having the hope of eternal life, it also is proof positive that he's the Messiah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us something that's so amazing that nobody else could go around and make that claim. Because when they make that claim, say, that's not true, they're, they're right there. They're in the ground right there. They didn't rise from the dead. But Jesus did. Um, Peter wanted to know for himself. He heard it and ran ahead. And I would say, if you have a question in your heart and mind whether or not Jesus really ran, uh, was raised from the dead, then go back to the scriptures. Go to the tomb, if you will. Read the accounts. There's four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read those four. Read what happens. 
and, and all the, the evidence that is put in there to make certain that you can know this wasn't a mistake. They know what tomb they went to. There was a guard in front of the tomb. You know, um, the ladies went there. The angel had rolled it away. I mean, all of this information. Um, you know, some people say, well, you know, this was just mass hysteria. You know, they all, they just, everybody at once believed the same thing. Which, I guess, those who study these things have said that the conditions you need for mass hysteria is a presupposition that something's about to take place. You need, this needs to be, you know, if everybody's going to have a, a delusion at once, there needs to be a general expectation. So did the disciples expect Jesus to rise from the dead? <laughs> no. So much so when somebody said, he rose from the dead, just like he said, you're crazy, lady. You're crazy. Don't, I don't believe you. So, uh, you know, the, the New Testament, a reliable historical document, tells us, and we have eyewitnesses giving their testimony that he rose from the dead. Um, moving on into verse 13, we change the scene from around um, Jerusalem and in the upper room where they were meeting and then also around the tomb where he had been laying. Now they're, they're on the road heading towards um, uh, Emmaus. So we'll pick up. Now behold, and I, I love this story. I love this story because Jesus is just, it's like he's spying on them in plain sight. I've just watched the way he engages with them. I mean, if you can read this and not see a little smirk in, in Jesus's, you know, smile there, and just like, well, tell me a little bit more about this, you know. Just, just watch. So now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained. I, I, I was just curious. I mean, it would, you would expect it, but I just wanted to verify uh, the verb here for restrained is a passive verb. Somebody's doing this to them. Somebody is restraining them, okay? And, and it's an imperfect um, passive verb, which means they were continually having a restraint put upon them. It's the Lord. So they did not know him, verse 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you have with one another as you walk and are sad. So they are confused and now they're despondent, right? They're sad. Then one of whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, <laughs> if I would have known Cleopas, I would have teased him for the rest of the, his life for saying this to Jesus. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, Jesus says, what things? So they said to him, Heavy breath, exhale, can't believe it. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. We not are hoping. Hope is gone. We're sad. We are hopeless. And indeed, beside all this, Today is the third day since these things happened. So it's like, well, so they had some kind of expectation there, but 
they, you know, if I don't see it, I'm not going to believe it. Have you heard anybody say that before? If I don't see it. Well, I've got news for you. Then you'll never believe in Jesus Christ. Because you're not going to see Jesus Christ walking down the road today, okay? You've got to have faith. And, and they, they knew that he would, said he would rise from the dead, but they don't believe that he rose from the dead. They hadn't seen it, so they don't believe it. And Jesus is quite graciously meeting with them. But hey, you just imagine after the fact, because Jesus is going to reveal himself. You remember when you told Jesus, like, are you the only dummy in Jerusalem, you know, that doesn't know what's going on? Yeah, I mean, can you, I can't believe you said that. Just be quiet, right? So verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early, astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Okay, so you know that he said it, and now you have people that are your friends that are telling you that he rose from the dead, and the angels communicated that, but you are hopeless. They got the facts correct, but it's not translated into belief. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And that's like every one of us in this room. Not a single one of us have seen Jesus. We have to believe the testimony. So, I mean, we see that the disciples were hopeless. They were despondent. Um, their dreams were shattered. I mean, you can imagine. He's the Messiah. I've watched him raise people from the dead. I watched him walk on water. He sent me out as one of his disciples. I don't know who Cleopas is, but maybe he was one of the 70 that was sent out, right? He's obviously important to Jesus. He's well informed. He knows what's going on, what's happening with the disciples. And, 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 and yet he doesn't believe it. So, have you had your dreams shattered? Again, what's the answer? The risen Lord, that's the answer. That's the answer. Verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. So there's your problem. They got the facts. They have the testimony. But the problem is they don't believe. And all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I hope that somebody in heaven recorded that Bible study. Because I would love to sit down in heaven and if you have little rooms, you could go and sit down and watch scenes from, you know, uh, you know Scripture. And I, I want to hear that message. If, I, if, you know, Jesus takes requests, I promise you, I'm going to say, preach that message that you preached on the road to Emmaus. I want to hear that one. So he, he, he spoke to them from the Scriptures. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone on further. <clears throat> But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and stayed with them. I mean, he's got them. They're, they're, they're hooked. What's happening here? Um, we don't know what scriptures the Lord spoke. We get a general statement. But I cannot imagine Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 being left out. Write them down. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. Go read them on your own. I, I'm certain that he 
as certain as you can be without it saying that he referenced these verses, these passages about Jesus being, you know, the chastisement for our peace being put upon him, not recognizable as a man, all of his joints being out of place. I mean, I, I, these are powerful uh, prophetic passages speaking of his suffering. He had to suffer because <coughs> the prophet said he would. Verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he broke bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, I knew it. <laughs> Did not our heart burn within us while we talked? Well, he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. So this restraint had been put on their eyes. They already were not believing when Jesus met them. And then there's a restraint that's on their eyes. And then he preaches this message. And then it's when he breaks bread and gives thanks that their eyes are opened. I, you know, I, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was, you know, obviously just the Lord opening their eyes. But maybe it was a, a common way that he prayed. Maybe when he broke the bread and handed it, they could see the scars. I don't know. But at this moment, but they... They said, did not our hearts burn with us? As they were traveling down the road and Jesus was talking to them about all the suffering. Like you said that he suffered. Well, but this, the prophet said he had to suffer. You know, this is their question. You know, you don't know that he suffered? And he's like, no, he had to suffer. So you can just imagine the, the wheels in their mind turning. Well, if he had to suffer, he said he was going to suffer. So you can imagine how things did cause their hearts to burn like, well, maybe he is alive. I think that's what was going on in their minds. Maybe he is alive, like the lady said. But they didn't know that it was him. And um, so the Lord reveals himself to them. What a, what a, what a great account. Um, verse 36, um, we move to another scene. And um, where Jesus shows up, and this will be the, the last section, verses 36 through 45, we'll end with this. And Jesus is going to be in their midst again. So we begin reading. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you, but they were terrified and frightened. Um, let's see, am I verse 35? Did I skip verse? Yeah, okay. So he's in their midst of the room, and he obviously um, materialized. I don't know if that's the best theological word, but he wasn't in the room, and then all of a sudden he's in the room. And um, this freaks them out, <laughs> um, as you could imagine. So something in the resurrected, glorified uh, body of Christ allowed him to show up in places that, is, that our physical bodies and his previous physical body had limitations to. But this body of his um, is upgraded. It's, it's 2.0, right? And he's able just to show up. And I think it's kind of one of those things where here the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden the Lord is with them. Here they are behind closed doors, and all of a sudden the Lord is in the midst of them. And I think what the Lord is trying to train their minds to is, I'm always with you. You don't have to see me to know that I am, I am with you. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Verse 38. 
And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why, why are you having a hard time believing that I've risen from the dead? Why, why do you have that? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. So what's he referring to when he says hands and feet? Where the nail prints were. And he showed this to him. Which, think about this, which means the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ still bears in his body the marks of the cross. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's Revelation 5, you know, when John goes and he's caught up into heaven, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who was slain. When we look at Jesus, we will see him as one who had been slain. He will bear in his body the marks of that suffering. What a powerful impact that's going to be for us, right? To behold his suffering for our sin. It's not just a scar. It's a scar that's because of me. He is my lamb. Just as the Israelites would take a lamb and offer him up as their sacrifice for their sins, Jesus is the lamb of God. He is your lamb, and you will see in that lamb his marks in his body. Pretty amazing. He says, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see. So he's not just like, you know, a, you know, um, a spirit or a ghost. He's like, come touch me. I, I'm, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit like you think. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? Let me prove it to you. Spirits don't eat food, okay? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took and ate in their presence. And you're just like, their eyes are on him like, hmm. Okay, it didn't fall to the ground. You digested that. He shows them the scars. He eats in their presence. And um, again, we don't have opportunity for this kind of firsthand experience. So we, we believe the testimony of Scripture and the eyewitnesses of those who saw and we put our trust and our faith in him. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. That's you. You believe in Jesus even though you haven't seen him. But, you know, we, we know what we mean by the word seen. But haven't we seen him? Haven't you seen the Lord active in your life? Haven't you experienced the Lord coming along and comforting you and encouraging you time after time? You know, if somebody ever wants to challenge you and say, how do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? Just say, I talked to him this morning. I talked to him this morning. And he talked back to me. Oh, really? What did he say? This is what he said. And just share your quiet time with them. I talked to Jesus. He talks to me. Well, I don't know if the Lord ever talks to me. Do you ever feel convicted over the wrong things you do? Well, then the Lord talks to you, okay? You're like, yeah, he talks to me way too much. Um, Got too many things going on there. All right, well, he talks to you. He speaks to you. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. I told you guys. The word of God must come true. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Scripture was key 
to them coming to the conclusion that he was a resurrected Lord. Now that we can really identify with, can't we? That's an easy point for us to make a connection as they did. He went to the scriptures, the prophets and um, uh, the psalmist, Moses, and said, look, this is what the word of God said I would go through. Now we get to go back and look at all of those things, but we also get to read the scriptures of the New Testament. And uh, may the Lord give us an understanding to see these things and to know, for our understanding to be opened and our understanding being opened to be continually refreshed in the knowledge and the truth of what we know of the Lord. And that is, he is alive, he is in our midst, he dwells within us, and Jesus alive should make a difference to my doubts and my perplexity that I go through in this life, and it should make a difference to my despondency and the sadness I feel in my life. Jesus is alive. And if you would have gone to these guys and they realized, okay, you're alive. And somebody said, yeah, but don't forget, you got a big tax bill. <laughs> so what? Jesus is alive. I don't, you know, it, it, it wouldn't matter, right? In that moment, when they understand that Jesus is alive, yeah, but, but remember, bad things can happen. Jesus is alive. And, and we need to have that kind of faith not just for salvation, but for sanctification and for living that, that we allow it. And, and you know, so I'm speaking to myself, not just to you. I hope you know that. That I need to allow the Spirit of the Lord um, to allow the full significance for him to instruct me and coach me up. That when the circumstances are, you know, not what I desire, that somebody could just say, yeah, but Troy, Jesus is alive. That it could be, you're right, he is alive. We're okay. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. He said that he would always be with me. He said that he'd give me joy and he'd give me peace. He said he'd be my counselor. He said he'd give eternal life, abundant life. He's in heaven as a risen Savior interceding for me. I'm all right. And here's the truth. You're all right too. But if you've yet to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, and then he was raised from the dead for your justification, that is that you'd be accepted in heaven, then you need to put your faith. You need to believe in him. You need to say, I believe that, and I want to follow him. And if you'll do that, he'll receive you to himself. He'll receive you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this account, for this record we have of your resurrection. And um, Lord, may it be a big deal in our hearts and our mind, not just as a doctrinal point of our belief system that one day we'll be in heaven, but I pray your resurrection would also make our day different, our trials different, our sadness and our despondency and our perplexity. It would, it would answer that we would know that you are in our midst, and even more than being in our midst, you dwell within us. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would just be enlarged and our understanding would be expanded uh, to understand the beauty of you, our risen Lord. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray.